have a very, you know, just completely irrational view of the world that we live in. The United States and China relationship is worth over $700 billion. I'm talking the trade relationship specifically. Mm -hmm. It would be absolutely impossible for the United States and China to decouple. Mm. Now, there's certainly some things of, of de-risking, if you will. You've kind of seen that that uh, that terminology change. Mm -hmm. You know, in the beginning, it always used to be, we need to decouple. We need to separate everything we can from China. But realistically, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, we've been building this relationship with China for 50 years and to throw it all away, you know, for what? The fact that the left and the right are pretty much anti-China right now. There's certainly an anti-China sentiment in Washington. And it is a difficult one because, you know, for example, Joe Biden's got to play the game, right? I mean, if he wants to get reelected, he cannot come out and, and have, you know, this more of a progressive stance. For example, he can't do like a Gavin Newsom and be like, hey, we should learn from China. Let's mm -hmm. let's let's go ahead. And you know what? I, why don't I go visit China and, and you know see how they built this infrastructure? I think that'd be good for America. You say that. Good luck. You're going to lose the election. You know, so and you got to play the game. So Biden's not stupid. I mean, he, he's going to play that game. And Welcome to The Bridge. Fun conversations on culture, life, and everything in between. Find us where you get your podcasts. If you like the show, then consider pushing the like button or giving us five stars. Suggestions, comments, anything you would like to share, email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. We love the bridge. Yeah. Hello, Cyrus. I'm Jason of the Bridge Podcast, and this is Cyrus Jansen. You're called Cyrus Jansen on YouTube, or how do we find you? Uh, Cyrus Jansen. All right, because I know you're an entrepreneur. You've actually invested in Starbucks, for example, which we're going to talk a little Correct. bit about. It's going to be a tiny sliver of what we talk about. Starbucks is huge in China with 6,500 branches right now. Yeah. With something like 2,000, 3,000 coming by 2027. Is that right? Exactly. That's right. Absolutely. So American business, you know, big business is big on China. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. You know, Jason, I think what's really interesting is, is we hear, you know, constantly in Western media is, you know, we need to decouple from China. We need to de-risk from China. We need to, and it's interesting, you know, especially with the very far right-wing politicians and those that are, you know, extremely hawkish. There are these China mm -hmm. hawks that are very aggressive towards China. They have a very, you know, just completely irrational view of the world that we live in. Mm -hmm. And just the fact that, for example, as you know, the United States and China relationship is worth over $700 billion. I'm talking the trade relationship specifically. Mm -hmm. And there is so much business being done between the United States and China, it would be absolutely impossible for the United States and China to decouple. Mm -hmm. Now, there's certainly some things of, of de-risking, if you will. You've kind of seen that, that, uh, that terminology change. Mm -hmm. You know, in the beginning, it always used to be we need to decouple. We need to separate everything we can from China. But realistically, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, we've been building this relationship with China for 50 years and to throw it all away, you know, for what? I, I One of the very first YouTube videos I ever made was just talking about how, you know, you look at the Dow 30 and all of these companies have supply chains tied back to China mm -hmm. or China is a huge market for them. And so, you know, we again, we've spent 50 years building this relationship. You know, the United States and China are going to be tied at the hip for the foreseeable future. Well, I mean, beyond that, even in de-risking, a lot of, you know, for example, in the last year, Mexico emerged as the U.S. largest trading partner under the new version of NAFTA. But actually, a lot of the goods that China was already delivering to the United States as unfinished goods are now going into Mexico, becoming finished goods, and then moving into the United States. So even then, when we're de-risking, the supply chain, the logistics chain globally is just moving around. But there's still exactly. China and the United States are integral parts of what's going on in terms of global supply chains and global logistics. I also read recently recently that uh, pharmaceutical goods for the United States are almost exclusively made in China. So if there was a de-risking or a full decoupling, which is not imaginable anymore, thank goodness, some reason prevailed, the United right. States suddenly would just run out of every kind of drug imaginable, which is, you know, ridiculous and couldn't happen in reality. It couldn't. And I think I think it's something like Pfizer. I think Pfizer's had an incredible run in China. I'm thinking something like 40 years. It's something like that. It's a very, could potentially even be longer. I, I know don't know the exact date but they've, they've been in China for decades, many, many decades. They have uh, an, an incredible reach, you know, all throughout China. But again, I mean, tremendous amount of factories, tremendous amount of business. I mean, you can just imagine a U.S. listed company like that with this amount of reach in China. I mean, they've got tons of American executives on the ground in China. Um, when we were talking local teams of 
probably tens of thousands of local Chinese working for Pfizer in order to make that industry happen. And yeah, Jason, you're exactly right. I mean, it's just, it's not feasible. It's not going to happen this, uh, you know, a complete decoupling from China. It's completely counterintuitive to, you know, the future of America's own economy. You know, on my phone, which, I, you know, I order food at home a lot uh, here in China, it's much more convenient than the United States. The United States still has a little bit of catching up to do on this. But um, mm-hmm. if I open my phone, I open Alama. Like the f- top 10 restaurant choices that appear, which is like Grubhub right. for China, for people who don't know, are like McDonald's, Burger King, KFC, even Taco Bell now here in um, in, in Beijing, which is also Yum Brands, which controls KFC. I think there is right. something like 40,000 locations that Yum Brands has of various different kinds of outlets. They own Pizza Hut, KFC, Taco Bell, and other brands that are starting to open up. And Popeye's is now coming back, apparently, right. into China. Right. With, I wanted to just go through a list of some of the things sure. that most people know, but you, I think they need to be reminded of that exist here right. in China. So we have two Disneylands. Right. Not, we have one in Shanghai, one in Hong Kong. So Disneyland is gigantic. And Disney, there are Disney stores in every major city in China, which right. are amazing. I'm a giant kid. So I, I go to Lego stores. I go to Disney stores. I have yeah. all kinds of ridiculous things that adults probably shouldn't have, like Star Wars toys. But um, <laughs> we have a Universal Studio now here in Beijing. I right. haven't been to, but I, everyone I know has been. I'm just lazy. Hilton is growing. So I think it's right. it's going to be growing to 730 branches by 2027 also. And right. uh, China is a member of APEC. The US is a member of APEC. We just had a huge meeting in San Francisco not too long ago. I'm on here on the ground. So I went ahead and I went to the grocery store near my house. This is just a random mm-hmm. grocery store, Walmart by my home. And I wanted to see, you know, just based on brand recognition with my eyes, I wanted to see what American brands I could find. And I found them in about 20 minutes. And I took a bunch right. of pictures and checked out where they are. So I found Oreo cookies which is headquarters, Chicago. I found right. Snickers, Mars, Virginia. I saw Gillette and I knew, okay, this is, you know, this is something I always got back at home, Cincinnati, Ohio. I saw, right. uh, what is it? Schick, which is a Gillette's competitor, Connecticut. I saw Anheuser-Busch, which is located in St. Louis, Missouri. A Procter & Gamble owns VS, Vidal Sassoon. I don't use their product, sorry. I think it's more of a lady product. Uh, Cincinnati, right. Ohio, Safeguard, uh, Hormel Foods, Smith's, uh, Smithfield Foods, Hormel, uh, what, Spam, Hot Wheels, Lay's. I just wanted to go through a little bit faster. Tide, yeah. Colgate, Clear Clean, Listerine, Skippy. My brother loves Skippy, by the way. Raid, <laughs> so, you know, if you've got a cockroach problem, I guess. Olay, French's Mustard, which is actually Baltimore, not France. Uh, McCormick owns a lot of the seasonings, which are here in China from Maryland. Right. And it goes on and on and on and on. Uh, Morton Salt, various kinds of toothbrushes, just tons and tons of stuff that we can find at our local grocery. And I didn't even get through everything here. And this is just what I immediately recognized, immediately saw. This is not an exhaustive list of all of the American brands that are located in a regular grocery store here in China. So there's an enormous amount of money to be made for American brands, for the people who work in these factories, for the people who are invested in these companies selling these products in China. China is the largest middle class in the world. The United States is what? Population 350 million. So what is that? 200 million maybe in the middle class. China is a population of 1.4 billion people. And that's a half a billion people in their middle class. So we're talking about 500 million people buying Skippy. So maybe not all buying Skippy, but you know what I mean? So like the idea that that congresspersons would try to de-risk, decouple from China it only hurts U.S. businesses. It does. You know, Jason, I think an important point to really point out to the to the viewers and those listening to this podcast as well is uh, we have a very big disconnect in, in to reality what, of what's really happening in China. And that disconnect is just so large on the media here in the United States. It is actually truly remarkable when you turn on a Fox News and you actually listen to their comments about China because it is, it's not even, you know, it's it's so far removed from reality that it's to the point of that they, they must be going out of their way to be making things up that are just complete nonsense. Mm. And, I, you know, a great example with this would be, um, you know, Gordon Chang, who is obviously a very, very prominent anti-China hawk. Uh, he is constantly on radio and television making, I would say, three to five appearances a week mm-hmm. uh, minimum, you know, somewhere in the United States mm-hmm. uh, as this great China expert. You know, Gordon Chang, very famous for writing The Coming Collapse of China, which was published in 2001. Obviously, we're uh, almost, you know, a couple of weeks away from the new year here. So almost 23 
three years of the you got to remember prediction in 2011 and, he said he was only off by one year so yeah it collapsed exactly. in 2012 I mean, I mean, he's had just a, <laughs> a, a history is kind of uh, kind of like the uh, uh the, what is it the nostradamus who's always predicting like the end of the world and you know all of this stuff so it, but what's interesting even with him as he said you know it's so dangerous that we're going to have electric vehicles made by china navigating the streets of california because you know once the war starts china is going to be able to flip a switch and all of these ev cars are going to be used as battering rams and be killing innocent civilians oh in american streets and it's like wow. wow like that's just so far removed from reality i mean that's just hyperbole you know i mean it's just really nonsense um i mean i don't think a rational person or anybody that's really educated anybody that's been to china any businessman no one is looking at this with you know with any credibility you know we simply can write him off because we've been there we're experienced we know that unfortunately there's a lot of uneducated people that really quite frankly don't know anything about the outside world so they're very gullible and we have a very large population inside this country that will listen to the fox news and be completely brainwashed and think china is just some dystopian hellhole that is just so far removed from what what really is there and you know it's interesting jason i mean as you know i used to live in china for 10 years i've come back to the united states um i do enjoy being here because i really do find my my role very important here you know i, I always want to improve u.s china relations i think it's important to live in one of those two uh locations you know you're on the ground in beijing i'm here in the united states but it's great because i talk every day i talk to people you know i tell them about my youtube channel i run i tell them about the work that i do in china and, you know, when I get a chance to connect with people one on one, it's always, you know, a much different experience because it's like, oh, wow, you're, you're an American that actually lived there for 10 years. Like mm. you actually know what, what it's really like over there. Like, tell me, what is it really like? And so I, you know, and, and uh, yeah, again, I, I think that's the big message I really want to get through is that what our politicians, you know, preach or that they do, it, it's really become a, a sad point in the United States where we just try to say the most ridiculous things on the TV in order to get more TV time in order to sell our votes. And, you know, I mean, it's just BS. I mean, that's just at the end of the day, that's, that's all it is. And it's, it's just, it's just a waste of time, you know, for a lot of people, because they don't, again, you know, I, I always say, look at the business leaders. These are the guys that mm. move the needle that really make the decisions. And again, it's why you're seeing companies like Disney and Universal and Colgate and Procter and Gamble and Pfizer and Hilton and McDonald's and all of these companies, you know, you open up a Starbucks, I mean, for decade, you know, for over a decade, you know, the growth was not coming, you know, Starbucks has been a very lucrative stock to hold for, you know, a long time. And the main reason for that is China. And let's be honest, I mean, if you've been an Apple shareholder, that's because of China. I mean, it's it has increased so much and become the most valuable company in the world because of China. You know, number one, you're being able to produce your, you know, world class phones in the one of the best destinations in the world, you know, you're getting it produced high quality labor and high quality efficient products produced in China. And then not only that, you export them to the United States and then re-import them right back to China and sell them to that massive five to six hundred million uh, person deep uh, middle class, which you talked about, Jason. So there, you know, you're kind of double dipping. You're getting to manufacture in China for the cheaper price, but then you're also being able to turn that around and sell it at a full retail price to the Chinese consumer who are happy to buy that as well because they are rising. You know, the middle class is rising in China. People are becoming more wealthy, etc. You're listening to The Bridge. I was really surprised after the um, Huawei Mate 60 Pro came out. I thought a lot of people were going to be trying to switch to this phone, but I immediately went to an Apple store like a couple days later, even though a lot of the Huawei stores were packed right after the initial launch. Apple right. stores had lines around the block, literally. Yeah. I, I recorded it and put it on, on Twitter. I think yeah. when we're talking about uh, TV uh, in the United States, it really is an older generational habit of watching television. If you look right. at the statistics, trust in TV and print media in the United States is at all at all time lows. And a lot of people are getting their media from, you know, diffuse sources like uh, TikTok and Twitter and Reddit and all of these other social media platforms, because, you know, major media outlets actually have migrated to these platforms as 
well. Plus, you have right. people on the ground reporting what's going on. So I don't even think my mom watches TV anymore. She watches TV via the internet or something. So right. she's in her 70s. So I think right. like the whole concept of what is you know Fox News saying when we go on there or MSNBC or whatever, a lot of it's ludicrous because they just need to be as sensational as in, sensational as possible because they're selling the same products that we're we're buying here in, that I'm buying here in China that are manufactured yeah. in the United States. And I got to say, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, in China, they're so nationalist that there'll be like boycotts against U.S. products. You know, generally not. I, I have yeah. to say, like, Agreed. Uh, really, like people who like Snickers bars are just going to keep buying Snickers bars pretty much no matter what. And I've never right. seen like KFC struggling because there was any kind of boycott or anything. And Taco Bell's growing. You know, a few years ago, it was one Taco Bell in Shanghai. Now, Yum Foods is starting to roll them out. Thank goodness. I think there's like five here in Beijing now. Because okay. when, yeah. I, when I put it into Didi the other day to go to the one location I thought there was, I suddenly had a suite of options for where I could go to get Taco Bell. So like yeah. US brands are growing rapidly. And Disney, I think Disney is a really good example because parents love Disney. If you ha see yeah. a child on the streets of Beijing or Shanghai or Chongqing, any major city, they're guaranteed if they have a child with them, that kid is wearing a Disney backpack. That backpack right. has something to do with one of the Disney movies, whether it is a Marvel part of the, you know, Disney right. or whether it's like princess stuff. All of it is, Disney is so popular and they're they're doing enormous amounts of business here in China. Disneyland is opening a uh, Zootopia branch here in, in the Shanghai branch. So I'm really, I, I'm, I'm an adult. I'll bring my wife, we'll go. We don't have kids, but you know, I want to see that, you know, if there was a Star Wars uh, theme here, Star Wars is not as popular in China. That's one thing, you know, didn't really ever right. catch on. But if there was a Star Wars part of the Disney theme park, I would already have been there. Uh, so yeah, like, yeah, no doubt. I got yeah, to go to that. Disney before it opened in one of the soft openings. It was, it's an amazing park. It was really slammed for the first year or two. And now it's yeah. just business as usual. And they're, they're making money hands over fist. There are lines at Disney every day. So I think, yeah, this concept by these, like the people that you're talking about, radical congressmen or like radically right wing, or, you know, even left, uh, some people on the left too. This is not just a right left wing thing. This, there's a, there's no. kind of an anti-China sentiment amongst people who know very little about China. I got to say about Gordon, who we're talking about before, all due respect, he hasn't been in China in 20 years. What he knows about China is, I mean, you were here just a few years ago. China in 2016 and China in 2008 were a, was a different planet. It's a completely different yeah. universe. And now 2023, there are robots everywhere. Every hotel I've stayed in, and I stay in a hotel like twice a month for a few days, has robots right. that bring your food to your door. Or like there are robots in every mall on every floor that tell you where to go that can move around now. I mean, like China is constantly advancing to the next level technologically, and you can see it in real time. A lot of the malls, because real estate was a problem for a business real estate. I'm not talking about the housing market, completely separate issue. But just like right. in the United States, a lot of the business real estate had plummeted in value because people were working from home. So right. uh, services, service industries came into malls and took up a lot of that square footage. Now you have a lot more arcades. You have a lot more like laser tag. You have a lot more like ice rinks. You have, a, you know, physical entertainment that you can't just do at home. So, right. you know, you go to like the mall, there's VR places in every major mall that you go to now. Nice. So, cool. yeah, yeah it's very, it is very cool. And China is just constantly breakneck, like trying every new fad that came out. I went to, I went to CIIE in Shanghai and there are things that they're, you know, okay. When I was a kid, parents are worried about their kids getting uh, yeah, fat or whatever, because they are playing on a little joystick, but now they have video games. You run around and the ceiling floor and walls are completely interactive and you're in that world, literally running around in like a warehouse right. environment. So like, nice. it's just, I saw this at Siftus in Beijing too. I can't wait until this becomes ubiquitous all over the world. It always has yeah. to start somewhere. Uh, do you see this in the States, this kind of tech? Um, I mean, we, we have a lot of, you know, tech like that as well. I mean, I would say, you know, we've, we've started to see some of the, the robots, you know, in restaurants, you know, delivering some food mm -hmm. and things like that. I mean, it's, it's, it's certainly not at the level of China and, you know, it was really good for me this summer. I was able to go back to China for a week for business. So I was back in June 23, you know, mm. so earlier this summer. And, you know, because it's, it's so important when you're discussing China. I mean, you've got to be living there or visiting there. You've got to be in touch with what's going on. Because as you know, you know, a year in China, I mean, the, chi the country changes so fast. Mm. And, you know, the technology improves so much. And I think you brought up a couple of good points, though, Jason. I just want to hit on real quick again, is you mentioned the fact that, the, you know, the Huawei phone was a massive success in China, the mm. Mate 60, which it was. It was a 
great, you know, financial success. It was, you know, there was, it was certainly a lot for a lot of Chinese. It was a, a source of national pride. You know, I want to mm-hmm. buy the mm-hmm. Huawei phone. It's made in China, you know, proud to be Chinese, you know, made in China. Um, but, but that being said, you know, again, you have a middle class of five, six, 700 million people that, you know, there's plenty for many brands to exist, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So I know that, you know, the, you know, and the reality is, is that the Huawei stores are going to be packed. The Apple stores, the Samsung, the Xiaomi, they're all going to be packed because mm-hmm. there's enough customers to go around. Everybody's going to have a smartphone. So, but I, I totally agree with you is that that's one of the biggest things that I always mention is, you know, when everyone, you know, my most common question that I get is what's it like being an American in China? And I say, you know, to be honest, it's, it's amazing because Chinese people are some of the most friendly people that you'll ever meet. Mm-hmm. They are fascinated when you are tell them that you're from America. They always want to talk about the country. They always want to know where you're from, you know, what's life like in America. Mm-hmm. But obviously Chinese have a, a tremendous respect for the United States. And I think that's a really important thing because there is no animosity. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, you know, for example, I would say that a lot of Chinese would probably say, I'm not a huge fan of your government. I, I don't really like the American government. But as far as the, the country, the, the land, the people, the culture, you know, certainly people like American people like yourself. Yeah, I'm a fan, you know, or American food or, or products or things like that. And, you know, it, it is a great testament to America, you know, how many amazing companies that we have and the products that we're able to mm-hmm. do and the mm-hmm. marketing that we're able to do and the global reach. You think of something like Coca-Cola, for example. I mean, it's literally in every country. It's yeah. everywhere, right? Yeah. You go to some tiny village in Africa. I mean, there's Coke there. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, it's it's it, it, if, it, if there's going to be one foreign drink, it's going to be a Coke. <laughs> I mean, their their reach is incredible. Um, obviously, very big in China as well. But it, it is awesome because there's a lot of. Um, I mean, when I was back, I I, I just I got so many people coming up to talk to me. Uh, you know, asking where I'm from, and every single time. And that's that's the entire ten years I was in China, and every time I visited at, thereafter, everyone always has a very positive image of America. And I think that's really important. That's just something I want people to really understand. And I think what I always try to tell people on this side as well is, you know, what's what, what's life like in China? I mean, it's actually pretty similar to what we're doing here. You, you know, it's, it's not that much different, right? You know, right now in China, there's people out of Starbucks, you know, talking about their, you know, the latest movie they saw. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, uh, you know, there's a grandma, you know, walking her son home or, or her grandson home from school, you know, and there's a granddad, you know, you know, playing, you, you know, uh, doing, some, doing some activities with their kids. I mean, they're... Mm-hmm. You know, and kind of in life, we all want this, you know, a similar thing. You know, we always want to, you know, live a better life and have a, have a family time, things like that. So, you know, our countries are very similar in many ways. And I think it's really that people to people diplomacy that's really important. When you actually connect with Chinese people here in America, people don't have a problem. I mean, America is an immigrant country. We welcome people from all over the world. Mm-hmm. And it's the diversity here that is a great thing. And I think China is very similar in that is that they are very welcoming to foreigners around the world. And, you know, I mean, it's I think um, one of the interesting things I was talking to an older man when I was in Shanghai this year. And he just said, you know, thanks. Thanks for coming to China. Like right now, like he came in June 23, you know, like, you know, thank, thanks for coming, you know, when it, it just opened because that, you know, the uh, international tourists start, were able to come in on March 15th as, as when it reopened this year. So as soon as that opened, I said, all right, I'm going back. And, and a couple months later was able to come out. And so, yeah, it's great experience. And you know what? I mean, it's just so important, you know, that more people understand what China is really like and how important this relationship between U.S. and China really is. Jason. You know, I completely agree. I was also thinking about what you're talking about, amazing things that the United States has that uh, Chinese people appreciate. And I have to say that one of the key things, maybe the major thing is the university system. Now, China Mm. has unbelievably better universities now than it did 20, 30 years ago. And they're actually ranking world globally, but that's not the point that I'm trying to make. So that's not where I'm going. But, you know, there's not a Chinese person who wants to go to college that would turn down an offer at Harvard. So like U.S. university system, Berkeley, Harvard, UCL, LA, USC, all the, you know, Yale, Princeton, they are internationally recognized brands that Chinese people would love to attend these universities. So, you know, that's one thing that I'm hopeful in terms of people to people exchanges, because, you know, we do have leaders who have maybe been to China once or have never been to China who say bizarre things about China and misconstrue what life is really like here. So I'm really hopeful that more Chinese people will go back to the US to attend universities there and we can have people to people exchange because because much better than, you know, 10 or 20 diplomats going back and forth between countries having a dialogue would be tens of thousands of people living in one another's country. Now, I looked at the Absolutely. data for 2018. There were 72,000 Americans living in China. I don't know what the number is today, but I imagine it's about half. So I would right. love to see more Americans come here to China to study universities also to get jobs. You know, even, you know, you're 22 years old. You just got a college. You want to t- 
take a, a year off or just do something different, come and teach English over here. There's yeah. definitely room for English teachers who to come to China, live live in the city of your choice and get right. that fr- firsthand experience. Maybe you make some business contacts. Maybe it changes your life. Maybe you just go home after a year and you can tell people what life in China is really like. But I think, yeah. you know, one of the things that makes that difficult is there's a warning on the State Department's website saying all of these things about China, which are patently not true. Like, oh, if you go right. to China, leave your computers at home. What? I'm sorry. Don't do that. Right. There's no reason to do that. No one's going to like plug something in your computer when you arrive in China and make sure that you don't have like Facebook or some bizarre thing that you right. might be anticipating. And, you know, for the parents that are out there who are thinking about letting their chi- their child come here for school, come here for university, you know, it's just like America, really. And only it's more affordable. Everything here with the purchasing power parity of the of Chinese economy, you can afford to live. You can afford to go to university. You can afford to have a good time actually out on the town. And you probably graduate with far less debt than if you attend a U.S. university. Think yeah, about absolutely. this for Americans, because I love the idea of people to people exchanges, people coming out here to China to see what it's, life is like for themselves firsthand and not just for a week or two on a vacation or, a, you know, exploration trip, but like actually coming out and living here for a year or a few years. Coming to university yeah. in China is going to give you the ability to speak Chinese. All the people yeah. who, who I know who speak fluent Chinese learned at Chinese universities. You're going to have the you're going to make contacts who the two largest economies in the world are the United States and China. If you were an American with Chinese contacts and the ability to speak Mandarin, you are perfectly placed in the modern world to be successful. The rest is really Absolutely. up to you. You've got all the tools that you need. So I would love right. to see more Chinese people come to the United States. I would love more people from the United States to come to China so that we can kind of diffuse the tensions that have been boiling up for the last few years unnecessarily. Yeah. Now, Jason, I think I think we're seeing a big progress. You know, I think what's really interesting is how important that was, that meeting was between Xi Jinping and Joe mm-hmm. Biden at the APEC meeting in November. It was really a great thing because, you know, number one, I think for the China Hawks, they, they really struggled with that because, you know, for example, they had just preached constantly how, you know, we need to decouple, we need to decouple. And then all of a sudden you see Xi Jinping come, you know, Joe Biden and him have a great meeting. All of a sudden there's a room full of business yeah. executives cheering. Um, <laughs> who, are, who, are, who are cheering for him. But not only that, I mean, they're paying $2,000 a, a plate hmm. to, in order to have dinner with Xi Jinping in the room, and you're paying forty thousand dollars a plate in order to sit at his table. Wow! And of course, you know you've got all of the big executives, you know the Elon Musks and mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. you know uh, the CEO from you know Chase and um, you know Disney CEO. I mean, they're all of these guys mm-hmm. are there, and it is just it, it is symbolic. I mean, I know, for example, the very far right wing extremists are saying, "Oh, you know these executives are kissing up to China," and it's like, no, it's just it, again, it's just about doing business. You know, again, you have the the president of China who's arrived on American soil, very rare thing that doesn't happen that often. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And you, and you, you know, you have a company like Disney that, oh, by the way, um, you know, Shanghai Disneyland, for example, that's 51% owned by China's government. Mm. You know, a lot of people don't need, a lot of people don't even know that, uh, is that, you know, Disney doesn't even have the majority share in that. It's actually a joint venture with the, with the communist government. Mm. And so they own, they, they're, they have a vested interest in, in obviously Disney doing well. And it's, it's very, and, and obviously Disney's willing to do that deal because it's fine. I mean, it's, it's, you're, you're wanting to tap into that market. And like you said, there's Shanghai Disney stores everywhere. They're selling the backpacks, they're selling the gear, the movies, you know, that it's very, very popular concept and, you know, similar thing to even the sports world, you know, like NBA, right? NBA, mm-hmm. 20% of the revenue comes directly from China. They understand the importance of having that good relationship. And, you know, why wouldn't you want to have a good relationship with China? Like you said, number one in two economies in the world, US and China, hence why there's so much synergies there. And I think what you're, what's also we've seen, Jason, is a nice shift. Um, I remember a couple of years ago when Scott Morrison was the prime minister of Australia, uh, you know, Australia and Chinese and China relations were at an all time low. Mm-hmm. It was basically dead frozen. There was no signs of really any progress being made. But you know what? You know, time does heal wounds because all of a sudden we've got a new prime minister in Australia. He, you know, meets with Xi Jinping. All of a sudden it's like, let's reopen those. Let's reestablish those trade lines. Let's do this. So Australia, they get their relationship back on track. Mm-hmm. You look at the United States, you know, okay, we've had a bit of a thawing out and a bit of more of a normalization as of late. So, you know, there's, again, it kind of goes back to that. What I always like to say is, we, we you know, we need to take what the politicians say with a grain of salt, mm-hmm. knowing that most times, if if not all times they have an ulterior motive. It is, you know, how can I leverage this in order to get more eyeballs watching me mm-hmm. and in order for me to be, get more press time that, I, that way I can leverage it for more votes. 
you know, probably no greater example was, uh, I think it was Tom Cotton, Senator Tom Cotton mm. from Arkansas, who had said, I remember he got on national television. He said, you know, our Team USA Olympians should not be going to Beijing for the Winter Olympics in 2022 because the Chinese government's going to steal their DNA. And from oh, that God. DNA, they're <laughs> going to make these superhumans that are going to, you know, become these military, you know, combat warriors. And Did like, he really say that? He really said that. Like that. that and so he, he he's like, I would not, I would, you know, he, he basically wanted to cancel Team USA. Like we should, we should completely um, forego the Olympics in Beijing. We, you know, the reason why is national security risk. They're going to take the DNA from our wow. from our athletes because they're superior. And wow. and, and so uh, you can imagine, like all of a sudden, you know, he gets on television and people are like, "Oh wow, look at this guy!" But you know, so he gets a lot of press. He gets a lot of TV time. It's almost like say the most ridiculous thing you can out loud, and then of course you're <laughs> going to be in the media, right? People are going to be like, "Wait, did you hear what trying to steal in Team USA's DNA?" No, they're not. They're not. It's just it's ridiculous. Oh, wow. You know, it's 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 just it's just complete nonsense. But you know, that's kind of the world that we live in now. But like you said earlier, you know, this is why trust in television media is as an all time low. And it's why, you know, most I think I saw the graphic the other day, it was the 30 years and under most of their news is coming from TikTok, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, you know, or an Instagram, it's not coming from I mean, you know, if you're below the age of 30, you're not teeny, you're not turning on CNN to catch up with the latest news. You know, it's, it's, you know, that those are quickly dying out. And that's why social media is so important. I mean, I know that you have over a million followers on TikTok. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that, um, you know, for myself, <clears throat> you know, growing a YouTube channel, I mean, we, you know, this is, there's a reason why our channels are growing is because people are seeking that alternative information. And, you know, we've seen that. I don't think there's been a greater example. It's getting a little off topic here, but just touch on it briefly is like Israel, Palestine. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why this has been such a big story around the world and it's just because of social media Mm -hmm. and that's just where i wanted to go with that it's just the power of social media you're listening to the bridge Amazing. The thing you said about Tom Cotton, it sounds like one of those like a- the aliens made the pyramids kind of level conspiracy theories to me. So I'm not going to go yeah, there. Crazy. But I thought, you it's know, crazy. In, t- yeah, in terms of uh, the thawing of relations vis-a-vis the United States and China, I think it's really interesting before Blinken came, right? Before Yellen came, before uh, Gavin Newsom came, before Xi Jinping went to San Francisco, Tim Cook came to China. Elon Musk yeah. came to China. U.S. business leaders, CEOs of major corporations came to Beijing came to Shanghai, had meetings with the central government of China, trying to actually, they were trying to thaw relations because they knew how important the Sino-US business environment is, better than our own uh, senators, better than our politicians in the United States. So the sane people who actually know what's at stake came over to China to make peace. And then Blinken came over and then Yellen came over. So it's like the paving the way for making peace actually came from the business community in the United States. I wanted to talk a little bit about Tesla. Now you were mentioning, yeah. uh, you know, China's a huge market. There's room for Apple. There's room for Huawei. There's room for Xiaomi and Samsung. You know, but the same the same is true of the EV market. Firstly, you know, Correct. fact more than half of all EV sales, despite where the fact that media is talking about Europe all of the time, are in China. China right. buys more than half of all electronic vehicles every year, and so uh, that's the reason Tesla is here. That's the reason Elon Musk is here. And right. even if they can only get five or ten or twenty percent of the market. Market, that is gigantic. And when yeah, I'm walking absolutely. around on the streets of Beijing, I see Teslas all the time. Of course, I see BYD also, but I see Teslas yeah. everywhere. And Chinese people are proud to have Teslas. I know a lot of Tesla owners personally. And the inside yeah. of a Tesla is a really nice vehicle. It is amazing experience it's, sitting it's inside. Awesome. Yeah, right? it's awesome. I drive a Tesla. I mean, it's it's a it's a great car. And hmm. I think you know the interesting story about that, Jason, is is actually China was so brilliant. That's probably one of the smartest decisions that China's government ever made. Is that what happened is, is they actually, what they look back is, you know, about 20 years ago, really before EVs were even a thing, they were looking at how do we compete in the car market, Hmm. right? And then started looking at, you know, Germany and Japan are these two legacy automakers. Obviously they, they absolutely dominate in the traditional engines and, you know, gas powered cars. So all of a sudden they're like, well, how do we compete with that? You know, how are we going to compete with Japan and Germany? We can't, it's just, it's not, they're, they're too far advanced. But where where the living where the playing field is level is EVs because no one and this, let's go back let's go back to 2000 in 2000 no one had a, a clear advantage 
So what China did is they said, let's go ahead and like, let's double down all our efforts on really becoming the best EV like maker. Let's be the leader in electric vehicles because we do, do believe that there's a, there's a opportunity for this. And we do believe that there's a future. Now, the most brilliant strategy was, is that they decided to give subsidies out. Now, this is common in China. Obviously, if there is a, a, a certain initiative or a certain thing that the government wants to promote, you know, the government can provide subsidies or they can certainly promote that. Uh, another example would be AI, for example. You know, if you are a business that wants to open up and do AI, you can go to certain cities in China and have preferable tax rates because, hey, you're going to be going to this, let's say, third or fourth tier city. You're going to be providing jobs. You're going to be working in AI, which is an industry that we want to develop. Hence, why we will give you subsidies. We will give you tax advantages. We are going to incentivize you to do that. Now, what they decided to do is they said, if you're going to be in the EV space, we're going to give you subsidies, but we're not limiting those subsidies to local companies. Foreign companies can also come. Mm. And who was the first one to come? Tesla. Mm. Tesla came, Elon Musk, he seized the opportunity. And as a result, this is, like you said, over um, you know half of the EVs sold in the world are sold in China. But the incredible thing is even half of the Teslas that are made in the world. Last year, 711,000 Teslas were made and 52% of those were made in the Shanghai Gigafactory. Mm. So, you know, Tesla is, you know, everybody likes to talk about, oh, I have Tesla stock. Tesla's the most amazing company. Forget all these, you know, who's BYD? Tesla's king. Yeah, Tesla is king because of China. It's the same thing. And the most incredible thing about that is, is by China welcoming in Tesla in the beginning, this is how China has been able to evolve its own EV industry because all of the Chinese EV companies have been learning from Tesla and they have been studying Tesla and Tesla is an integral part of that Chinese EV um, ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And that's really, about, so again, is it really a brilliant move from the Chinese government just in their foresight and you know going back 23 years, almost 24 years now and saying, look, we can't compete with traditional gas engines. Let's go for EVs. Let's give the foreign, let's give the subsidies to local and foreign companies. Let's welcome in Tesla, make them an integral part of our uh, of our ecosystem. Tesla is so integrated in China, it's now impossible for Tesla to leave. Mm. There's no way they could do that. And that's a huge advantage to China. Because again, same thing, even if Tesla, you know, continues to dominate, again, half those cars are being made in China. You know, China's making money off them too, and it's good for local business and it's 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 great. So that's the kind of back end story with, with Tesla. But again, just another great example of a US and China relationship that is just flourishing right now. I wanted to add how China was able to uh, incubate EVs. China actually built out the infrastructure for charging stations before the EV market was coming, years ahead of time. China was like, what are we going to need in order to make this successful? And so it was like, okay, well, people need to be able to drive more than 100 or 200 kilometers before charging. So they just started building state subsidized charging stations all over the entirety of China, especially, you know, the uh, eastern side of China where the population is heaviest. And so when... Tesla, BYD, and all these uh, other cars companies came to the market, people were able to buy them. One of the reasons Gavin Newsom came over, governor of California, former governor, mayor of San Francisco, actually, which is really interesting because he was also at the APEC meeting, is that he came over to learn from China about how to set up the the infrastructure because California is going to be building out my home state, the infrastructure ahead of time now because they want to have EVs flow into the Californian market, especially, obviously, domestic brands. The United States right. does have, you know, does favor its own brands whenever possible. And this right. is not going to be an exception. Teslas are probably going to be able to dominate because the United States doesn't always play fair. And we could go to examples of that, but we don't really need to. But I would like to encourage other state leaders to do this new kind of subnational diplomacy. This is the new word for Gavin Newsom's visit, governor of California, going to nice. China for, you know, diplomatic relations on a subnational level. You know, U.S. state leaders actually consider the themselves their own kind of autonomous government, some more so than others. So I yeah. think that if governors from other states also want to come out to China to do their own kind of diplomatic efforts, China is probably going to welcome that. So if you're the governor oh, yeah. of Texas, if you're the governor of, uh, you know, Arkansas or whatever, you want to come to Beijing to like do some diplomatic relations of your own. I'm certain that China is going to send, you know, appropriate uh, ambassadorial staff to meet you at the airport and whatnot. You're listening to The Bridge. You know, I wanted to ask you about something because you're in the States. Uh, Yellen, you know, uh, 
Secretary of the Treasury. She came right. out here to China last year. It looked like she had a good time. And then she was at the tarmac to meet Xi Jinping off the plane in San Francisco. And she's right. already announced that she wants to come back to China in 2024. You know quite a bit about business. In your opinion, is this about trying to get China to continue to buy U.S. treasuries? It's definitely a, a big deal for the United States to keep buying those treasuries because I think what's happening right now is, you know, we have a very inflated stock market right now that I think is heading towards a major correction. You know, we've obviously are, are feeling the pain of just printing endless amounts of dollars. Uh, inflation is absolutely rampant in this country right now. Mm. I know that's something you have no idea about because you have deflation in China at the moment and things are much more reasonably priced as a result. Uh, but I mean, it's, it is at a point right now where there's a lot of people struggling in the United States with the cost of life and the cost of living. And it is something where, you know, the rich get richer and the poor get poor. And it's this divide, you know, this wealth gap is just, you know, widening um, extensively. And it is quite remarkable. So I think we're seeing here is, you know, um, I definitely think that Yellen would like to see that, you know, once all of a sudden, you know, China's made some interesting moves, you know, they've started to, um, you know, start dumping their US treasuries, they started, you know, buying a lot more gold along with Russia. And, you know, they're certainly, you know, looking to expand the BRICS network. And, you know, they're definitely shifting to a multipolar society, which is what we live in now. We, we do live in a multipolar world. But I think what's important to realize is, is that, you know, it was it was China that bailed out the United States in the 2008 financial crisis. You know, not many Americans know that, mm-hmm. that it was China buying our, you know, treasury bonds that really helped bail out this country. And so I think, you know, for the United States, obviously, you want to sell those bonds. You want to sell those treasury bonds and you want to make sure that people around the world, your partners around the world have that large trust in your government. And it is certainly a sign that, that, you know, that trust is, you know, maybe we don't want to hold as much as we, as we used to, you know, maybe we want to start dumping some of these treasury bonds. I think China's a little bit limited. It's not like they could just clear them all out. I mean, it's very, they own so much, you know, uh, U.S. treasury bonds that, you know, it'd be very difficult to offload them. Who else is going to buy that many? It would be the question. So I think the other answer to that, Jason, is that Yellen is not stupid. She also knows that our United States economy is directly connected to China. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, she said, I think her quote from earlier this year, loosely quoting this is that, you know, the United States and China, if it were to decouple, it would be an economic disaster. Mm-hmm. And she said something along those lines, um, realizing that, you know, we would cannibalize our own economy if we really were so stubborn that we wanted to cut off every tie to China. Mm-hmm. It's just not going to happen. And we would ultimately, Americans, most specifically, American consumer would be abs- would be getting the, the short end of that stick for sure. I want to add to that a little bit because I was also, sure. I, I, I see a correction coming. You know, I think, I don't know if it's going to be as bad as I originally thought, because I thought it was going to come in H2 of this year, because they're right. going to cut interest rates. They've announced they're going to cut interest right. rates at least five to six times next year, right. which means <laughs> that they may actually soften the blow. And maybe the US economy cannot you know, go into this grinding halt like everyone was suspecting. But I mean, right. I guess my point in asking about Yellen is if the United States wants to make sure that China buys more US treasuries, one of the things that China, because China has three and a half trillion in foreign currency reserves. And it, right. it might just invest those in the Belt and Road Initiative and other endeavors and all kinds of you know euro bonds and other things just to diversify away from the dollar. But it, right. it occurs to me as an American who wants to see you know China and the US get along really well that having China own treasuries is not just in the US benefit, but it benefits both countries because it creates requisite ties to maintain right. the peace. And so for me, looking at Yellen, I would assume that Yellen would be should be pressuring our political leadership to make sure that our diplomatic efforts towards China are positive so that in 24, 2025, China continues to invest in some U.S. treasuries, whether it's diversifying somewhat or not. And so I yeah. would like to see our political leadership uh, be a little bit more mature vis-a-vis our relationship with China. And I, and I think you might it's going to be very interesting here, Jason, as you know, we've got the election coming up. And so mm-hmm. I think what you're going to see is one of the things you, you mentioned earlier was the fact that the left and the right are pretty much anti-China right now. There's certainly an anti-China sentiment in Washington. And it is a difficult one because, you know, for example, Joe Biden's got to play the game, right? I mean, if he wants to get reelected, he cannot come out and, and have, you know, this more of a progressive stance. For example, he can't do like a Gavin
of Newsom and be like, hey, we should learn from China. Let's mm-hmm. let's let's go ahead and you know what? I, why don't I go visit China and, and you know see how they built this infrastructure? I think that'd be good for America. You say that, good luck. You're going to lose the election. You know, so you kind of you know that's the major thing that people need to understand. You got to play the game. So Biden's not stupid. I mean, he, he's going to play that game, and you know, but that's what's also interesting. You know, let's imagine that he does win a second term and he locks that in. You know, obviously, the first question is, can he make it all four years? I mean, you know, or, or what's going to happen for the Democrats there? But the, you know, the interesting thing in theory would be is once you lock up that second term, that's kind of when American presidents can kind of do their thing. Because, you know, when you win your first term, you know, you're first spending the first year, year and a half trying to get your bearings. You know, maybe you do work for a year and a half, but then all of a sudden you're basically just trying to get reelected. Mm-hmm. You know, and then mm-hmm. after you get that second term, that's when you can kind of, doesn't matter. You can say whatever you want to say. You're kind of guaranteed to finish out your terms. And that's when you start to see politicians be a little bit more truthful because mm-hmm. they don't have to play re-election. You know, mm-hmm. you know you're out. You're out. You're in a limited time in America. You can only do a maximum of eight years as president. So that's that's the interesting thing about this uh, system is mm-hmm. that so much of it is playing the game, playing word games, and really knowing what to say and how to say it mm-hmm. and appealing to get that almighty vote. You know, that's really all yeah. that matters. I'm actually really concerned about the election because I think, you know, there'll be a who can bash China the most competition among some of the members uh, who are going to be running some of the potential candidates but I wanted to actually talk about investing in China really quickly, even amongst some of the giant uh, media organizations who cover economics, and I'm not going to call them out by name. There's been a lot of down talk about China. And I wanted to put some context on that because I don't think that sure. it's fair. Because the IMF, for example, at the beginning of the year around January, February, put expected GDP growth for China to be about 5%. And they have since you know moved that up to 5.4% anticipated GDP growth for China during the year of 2023. Right. I, I want to put that into context. Even though GDP figures as a percentage of the size of China's economy growing in previous years have been slightly higher, it's because China's economy is so large now that those percentages go down. This year, China is right. adding one and a half trillion USD to its total GDP. Last year, China added, guess what? One and a half trillion dollars. The year before, one and a right. half trillion dollars. The year before, one and a half trillion dollars. It's been pretty consistent, the amount of actual GDP growth that China has been having. But each time China's economy becomes larger, the percentage that it grows is of China's economy is reduced slightly because China's economy is simply so enormously large now. So I think that when people say things like, oh, China's economy is slowing down, it's actually not. That's It's actually just continuing at almost the exact same pace. What's uh, slowing down is if you look at the percentage and you see, oh, this is the percentage it seems to be going down, it's still growing by a lot, but it's just growing as a smaller percentage of the total size of China's population. I also wanted to talk about something, you know, in, uh, in the United States, and starting from the 1970s, there was already offshoring. 1980s and 90s, it accelerated. I, w- I lived in a town, Oakdale, where Hershey left and Hershey moved to Mexico. So I know what offshoring is all about personally and I saw right. the effect that it had on a U.S. town, Oakdale, California. However, what's interesting about China is it doesn't have to offshore. It can reshore to itself because the western half of China is still in need of economic development. So a lot of factories right. that were operating in Guangdong, they're not just moving to Bangladesh. No, no offense. I mean, lots of stuff is moving to Bangladesh, like T-shirts, textiles and stuff. But a lot of Chinese manufacturing is just moving to the west of China, to Gansu right. and to, you know, Qinghai and all these other places in the west of China that still have low but qualified labor force that can right. continue to add. So. You know, realistically, China is a great place to invest. I actually read that the Shanghai Composite Index grows by about 10% a year and has regularly for a decade. So I think that might even beat, you know, NASDAQ, actually. So if you want to invest in index funds in Shanghai, it's probably better in the long term than investing in the U.S. I'm not saying anything bad about the U.S. uh, economy. I think the U.S. economy is actually pretty amazing, really. I think there are problems in wealth distribution, but the U.S. economy is actually quite strong. Yeah. In my opinion. I mean, yeah, I, I would agree with that. And, and I mean, in the wealth distribution, I mean, that is just this result of the kind of endless capitalism. And, and that is just a very big difference is because, you know, for example, I mean, that, that even goes down to a cultural difference, you know, in Amer- and, you know, obviously in China, you have a socialist society where, you know, certainly the government is wanting to promote more of those mm-hmm. socialism, um, you know, fundamentals mm-hmm. where, for example, if the tide is rising, then you want to have all boats rise, you right. know, whether it's a yacht or a small boat, you know, so a rich or poor, you know, everybody's boat should be rising. Mm. And that's a that's a concept that's very foreign in the United States. In the United States, our concept very much is, 
you know, you, if you will go work hard, you know, you can achieve success. And so it very tends to be about the individual Mm. in the United States. It's not about the collective society. It's not about rising all the boats. It's, you know, how do I get my boat to rise faster than anybody else's? Mm. And so that's why you see these extreme wealth. And there's a ton of wealth here in the United States. And there's also a ton of poverty. That's Mm. why that wealth gap is so different. And it even goes down to things like universal health care, right? In Canada, for example, a country that I lived in for five years, every Canadian has health care. You know, it's, it's, it's considered a human right. And mm. every Canadian, you know, you, you don't go into medical debt uh, because you can't afford to go to the hospital, right? That's a, that's, mm. a, that's a right in Canada that you have that right to do that. In America, it's a very, very different concept. Mm. You know, it's why do I need to pay for your medical insurance? I have nothing to do with you, right? right. You're on your own. So it's just a little bit of like, also, I, that's why I always say there's a lot of, of cultural elements as well when we're analyzing these geopolitics and certainly China, much more collective society, much more of a socialist society in, in, in practice. So those are some also some important uh, perspectives to understand. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I wanted to ask you, I guess this would be kind of like the pinnacle of the show is would you suggest to other Americans, to American companies to find ways to invest in China? The short answer to that is yes. And the, and the main reason for that is this, is that I, I love Warren Buffett. And one of his famous quotes is that when others become fearful, it's time for you to become greedy. And when others get greedy, it's time for you to be fearful. And so I think that's a really powerful quote. You know, it's obviously a very good one for investing. Obviously, when everybody's saying, oh my gosh, look at how much money I'm making in the stock market. Let's all buy, 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 buy. Um, yeah, it's probably a good time to, you know, start taking some profits or, you know, be be cautious moving forward because it's you've reached that point of, obviously, the stocks appreciated so much already, how much more can it go uh, before it kind of levels off or even declines a bit? Um, so I think with China, there's there's obviously a great opportunity still. I mean, I think that's where you're looking at these, you know, United States companies, you know, again, something like we open the show with something like a Starbucks, where it's like, mm-hmm. what other market is Starbucks opening up 3000 new stores, right. right? I mean, it's not the United States. I mean, we've basically capitalized on the market here, right? Starbucks is very profitable here. But I mean, how many how many more can we open up another 3000 Starbucks in, in America? America? Probably not. China? Absolutely. And it's going to happen. And as you know, like China's already, I think it's, I mean, it's one of the fastest growing coffee regions in the world, like oh, yeah. coffee drinking uh, countries in the world. A lot of people China thought Luckin was going to go under at 4,000 stores because of the problems that they had in the United States. However, now they're at 10,000 stores in China. Yeah. And that's been a great bounce back story. I mean, they had some uh, financial problems. They had a big scandal going mm-hmm. on. The stock went went all the way down to, I don't know what it went down to. I mean, it was basically- Yeah, it was uh, dirt. Yeah, Denny's. they fired their um, entire senior staff and started over. Basically, yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. They had a huge, huge scandal. So, I mean, they that was just uh, you know, really quite amazing. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the short end is, I think, Jason, is, you know, I would always be looking at China and never, never underestimate China. I think that's the one thing that I've I've learned in living there for many years, doing business for many years is, you know, China always seems to surprise and I would never count them out. You know, it's the same thing if, you know, one of the things that we've seen is the United States trying to sanction and really cut off China's access to technology. Well, that just makes China work harder and innovate faster. <laughs> right, yeah. you know, Apparently that's, they that's have a Kirin 5NM chip now. That's a few days ago. I've heard that. Oh, wow. I mean, I've heard, so I mean, that's that's the amazing thing is, again, then, you know, you force China into a corner, then you're just forcing China to innovate. Mm-hmm. Do you really want to bet against Chinese people innovating? Right. I mean, uh, you know, they've had a pretty good track record. I mean, you can go to China yourself and look at, you know, how advanced and much more modern and sophisticated, you know, China is compared to uh, the United States. I'm just talking infrastructure in cities mm-hmm. and how mm-hmm. cities are built and how they function. Uh, it's it's amazing. I mean, it really is. And I know any American or foreigner for that matter that goes there and really sees that firsthand, it's, they're impressed. It's, mm-hmm. it's truly incredible. Thank you so much for your time, Cyrus. I hope that we can get together in maybe a few months again. Absolutely. It'd be my pleasure, Jason. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.